this morning where our teaching text comes from Luke. Uh, Luke 8, 4 through 8. And it says this, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, and it choked it out. And some fell into good soil, and it grew, and it yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. God, we are grateful and thankful for who you are and what you have done. God, even in the midst of anxiety, nervousness, and everything that's going on in our lives, you are alive and present. God, you are at work, and you've never stopped being at work, and you will continue to work. And God, we cling to that hope. And this morning, I pray that we are just able to hear from you, that we're able to make some room, set aside everything that's going on, and just spend some time listening, attuning ourselves to you, not just to hear, but to understand and allow you to change our heart, to shape us, to be more like Jesus. God, we come to you this morning. Our ears are wide open. We know your Holy Spirit's alive and present, and we just want to hear from you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Awesome. So for those of you who know me, um, I have been married for seven months now, and let's just say it has been one of the most interesting seven months to begin marriage. Uh, it's rather odd, everything that has been happening. It will be one fun story to tell. But in the midst of that, I have learned a couple things. Yes, I've, I've actually learned a little bit as a husband, which is sometimes tough to admit because it means I was wrong in some things. But one of the things that I've become to learn is that it feels like life just never slows down. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but me and Hannah, it feels like we've just been on this speeding track, this roller coaster of a ride that is just constantly going. We got married back in December, and as soon as we got married, Hannah, uh, who's from Kentucky, um, from our wedding, we went to our honeymoon, and then we moved here in Vancouver. So she literally moved into our apartment with just a suitcase. All the boxes came later, and we very thankful for our UPS driver. They probably got very used to coming to our doorstep because there's a lot of boxes that came along the way. Most of them made it. Um, but in the midst of that, she moves in, she gets her job, she starts uh, finishing up her undergrad. And it feels like for us, it was like, all right, well, now we're married, live on our own. Like we got to start adulting. And so it's one thing after another. It's like, all right, let's start doing this stuff. So we get our bank account together. We uh, have to go through all the different insurances and they never tell you how many there actually are. Like when you're a kid, they say like, oh yeah, adulting, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of things that you're going to have to do, but they never tell you how much it actually is. And so it feels like it's one thing after another of our life. And so we're doing bank accounts, we're writing budgets, we're writing thank you cards, and the list goes on and on and on. And it's funny because Hannah, being who she is, she just pulls out uh, an envelope and is like, all right, we got to write this stuff down and keep track because there's so much going on right now. So we have a, a literally a blank envelope that we write everything on. We're, we're weird. For some reason, we didn't decide to grab the notepad or a piece of paper or anything, post-it notes. No, we have a blank envelope that we start writing. All right, what do we got to get done? What does John have to do? What does Hannah have to do? What do both of us have to do? which is a lot. And it feels like, man, as soon as we mark one thing off that list, another two things pop on the list. 
as soon as we get through three, it's like, all right, three more. It's like, what's next? And life just continues to go on and on. Another thing that I've come to learn, well, maybe not necessarily learn, but I've heard from my wife, is that apparently there are moments in which I have hearing loss. It's not like a medical or a doctor thing. She just says, hey, I don't know if you've heard me the first five times, but tonight we're doing this at six o'clock. And, and, and oh yeah, you get it? Husbands, don't call yourself out. Your wives will nod and say, yes, he does that too. We all know those people where it's, it's the moments where it's like, man, are you sure that's not the first time you told me that? It's just continued to just knock off her ears and hasn't really ingrained in what's going on. I share all this because in the midst of this, in my uh, just kind of wrestling with some of this growing as a husband, growing in our relationship, growing like in doing a lot more stuff independent on our own, like it, you just begin to realize life is difficult and it's not necessarily easy. Like they tell you as a kid and everything as you go through elementary school, like they're telling you all oh, like you need all these skills and stuff to do all this and they're like, we're going to prepare you and it's like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of stuff I was not prepared for if I'm going to be honest. And just going through it, life is just difficult in many ways. And especially right now, there's so much going on. And it can feel like we're in this never-ending sprint towards a desired destination. I don't know if any of you have ever watched uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but there's this moment in the movie where there's Sir Lancelot, he gets an arrow, and it's, he's getting called to go to a castle to go save a prince. And there's this moment where he just starts running. And it's this moment where they go back and forth about five times between him and the castle. And the whole time he's running, and you think, okay, like, each time they paint back, he get a little bit closer. No, he, it feels like sometimes he's further away, and then all of a sudden he's there. But it's just this, just kind of this thing that trickled in my head of, man, it feels like we're just sometimes on a treadmill. We're trying to get where we want to go. We're getting stuff done, but it doesn't feel like we've made any progress towards our desired goal that we were trying to go towards. A few weeks ago, me and Hannah finally had a day off. She had a day off from work. It was nice, and so we were like, all right, let's go do something fun. And for some reason, we decided what was fun for us was to go on a hike, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of weird. We enjoy to do that, but it's been a while since we've gone. And I don't just say it's been a while because like I look at the calendar and go, man, it's probably been a year since we've gone on a hike. No, my body told me the next morning that it had been a while since I went on a hike last. <laughs> we went to uh, this place. It was called Dog Mountain. I don't know if any of you have been there or heard of it. And we go and... Um, we're seeing the pictures, and it's like, oh, man, it's really pretty. It's about a six-mile uh, round-trip kind of thing. Oh, it can't be that bad. So uh, we planned to, uh, we're like, we're going to get up early. Well, at least we intended to get up early. Uh, we packed a lot of snacks and way more than we would ever eat in an entire week. I don't know why we packed our bags with that much. But we get our, our hiking shoes on. We get our water. We get everything ready to go, and we start going on this hike. And it's one of those, you're starting to go up this mountain, and so you're just kind of trudging up, back and forth, and it feels like you're just constantly in this like incline for, oh man, it went on for like an hour, it was like a mile and a half or something of just constant incline, and then you get to a part where it's kind of flat and evens out, and it's like, all right, like if this is the rest of the hike, I can do this, this is kind of nice, but then we got to a point where the path split, and this is what we saw. It says, path, difficult, more difficult. That was, that was our options of where we were about to go in the rest of this hike. And so often this, I mean, like, think about it. How often do you go through your everyday and it's like, man, I have a choice to make, but it's difficult, more difficult. Where's the easy option, the easy route to go? And it's just constant like this. It feels like sometimes in our life, it's just a choice between difficult, more difficult. And so often we don't necessarily have the room in our life 
to take on something new. And so we set stuff to the side, things get left behind because we're just getting done what needs to get done. It's the whole roll up your sleeves and get it done kind of thing, but there's not enough hours in the day to get it done, and there's always something new that gets thrown onto the plate, and it's just this never-ending cycle and sprint of life. And in our passage today, Jesus tells us a parable about a sower who sows a seed, and it falls into various soils. And Jesus often uses parables, and he uses them in a way to... Um, to kind of illustrate who God is and what we as mankind, as his followers, should take away from it, what we should know about like who God is and how we should respond. They're not meant to be taken literal, but they are a story in which he wants to illustrate this. And I love at the end of this parable, before he goes into any explanation because his disciples are already like, Jesus, okay, hold on, I need you to explain that. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's in this statement that, while most of us have ears, I'm pretty sure we all have ears, um, Jesus says we might not always hear, which is what ears are intended to do. And it's in this moment that we recognize that there are a lot of moments where things get said, things, uh, we take in things from the world, and so often it goes in one ear and out the other. Or sometimes it doesn't even make in our ears and it just clunks off the side of our head and we never even process it. And it takes 10 times for us to even understand what was being said. But this morning... As we go into God's word, Jesus is challenging us to tune our ears to hear him, to seek understanding, to wrestle, to identify what God truly wants us to hear. So in verse 9, it says, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. Jesus is laying the basis for the parable in this statement. He's teaching them um, through his parables. He's giving them a glimpse into who God is and how his kingdom looks. See, what we got to understand when he talks about secret is that God, like us being able to know God fully for a while has been veiled because of who we are and what we've done. We lived in perfect harmony and fellowship with God and because of our decisions because of our mistakes, when we decided to sin and step away and turn to something else and rebel and say, God, I'm going to make what's right and wrong, that relationship is broken. And it was as though a veil came between us and God. And what we see here in who Jesus is, is his ministry, his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus has made himself known. He's made the kingdom of God known to man. He takes back the veil. But it's interesting because Jesus even addresses that. He says that there's still going to be some who, although they have eyes to see, they're still not going to see it. There's going to be some who have ears to hear, like they, they have the ears, but they just can't hear it. In verse 11, it says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The seed that the sower is sowing is the word of God. His good news and his message is being shared amongst the crowd. And it's interesting to note here that the emphasis of this parable isn't on the sower. Rather, it's on the various soils in the seed that is being tossed. And that's what happens when we see the word of God in this moment is that I want you to picture this. Every time we, we go through, we're going to go through four different types of soils. We're going to go through four different places in which the seed lands. I want you to kind of imagine that as someone's spiritual walk. And so we start with the first one in verse 12. And it says, the ones along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. See, the soil of this person 
is so beat down, it is so hard, that the seed that is spread out amongst them, the seed is there, but it can't dig into the dirt. It can't grow any roots. It can't grow and flourish, and they can't understand because there's been years of wear and tear and toughness that is just packed down so that nothing can penetrate this ground. It's, it's this understanding that I, like, I know that I have a fixed understanding and perspective and you don't really hear the other understanding and perspectives of others around us. This person's heart is so hard that when the seed of God is there, it's easily plucked away and washed away in this moment. There's no way that it's able to take root. In verse 13, it says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. See, the soil here is really shallow and has this rocky base, which inhibits the seed to ever take root and last. The interesting thing to note, like the difference from the last one, is like the seed's able to go there for a little bit. There's joy that comes in. They hear the word of God, and they're happy, and they're like, yes, God, like I love what you're doing. Jesus, this sounds great. I want to be a part of this, but there's no space for it to grow. And this heart that gets excited in the message that is shared, but it often gets... It buckles under the weight of the busyness, of the pressure, of the difficulty of life. The things that are present in there are weighing so much that the, the seed's not able to build roots and preserve in the midst of this. And so often they want this magical Jesus. It's like, Jesus, like, I believe in you. I want to follow you. But like, why do I still have difficulty in my life? And it's, it's this tough moment where they're like, Jesus, I follow you. And it, they, they want every difficult thing. They want the difficult and more difficult paths to go away. And they want the easy route of Jesus. Everything is good. All my weeds are gone. The rocks are gone. Life is good and happy. And I think we all know that life, sometimes there, there is brokenness. There is sadness. There is heartache. There is brokenness in tough times in the midst of this. And they are truly struggling with the difficulty of the world, and they become discouraged. And the difficulty is still present even when they hear the word of God. They have this joy, but after a while, if there's not a root that's able to develop, it just withers away. Verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. What we see here is that the soil here is rather mixed. It's, it's kind of interesting because the Word of God is able to root and grow. Like, you, you see some progression here. They take on the fruit of the Spirit. It says that it is present within them. There is joy. They are following and going down the journey. But what you see is as the seed grows and as it flourishes, so do the weeds. So do the thorns. And what happens is after a while... The thorns that grew alongside it will eventually choke it out. And this looks like those who hear and embark on the um, journey to follow Jesus. They even begin to display the fruit of the Spirit, but it's never able to mature. And they're so distracted with the things of the world that over time, the temptations, the worldly things overtake the soil. They've allowed the things of the world and the temptations to have deeper roots than the seed that it overtakes it. And I think we all know, like, you can picture a yard. Once you get one weed in and you don't pull it out by its root, it's going to spread and fester and ruin the rest that is there. 
There's no doubt in my mind that the seed took root and began to grow, but eventually it was choked out by the thorns that were present. In verse 15, it says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, they hold fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. The soil here, it says it's good, it's fruitful, and it lasts. And the ground is soft enough. There's no rocks that are present. So the seed's able to penetrate and take root. But what you also see here is that there's no thorns or weeds, so the seed's able to flourish and produce fruit and isn't limited by the weeds and thorns that are in the life that are holding them back and limiting what God is doing in their life. But one thing to not overlook in this passage is that it says the soil held fast and it was able to do it with patience that's a tough one to take away patience but when i hear this parable i don't just think of four different types of people and four different people in their lives and descriptions but rather what you see here is that these people aren't necessarily fixed into any of these descriptions but what we hear is he says about the good soil is that it held fast with patience there's work that was put into it there was growth over time. When we talk about progress over perfection, it's not perfect in the beginning. None of us have had a perfect garden to start and sustain the whole time. There are weeds that have come in and uh, dwelled in our garden. There's rocks that somehow washed up, and it's like, how in the world did you get there? And years and years after kind of walking back and forth, there's some wear and tear, and there's some hardness in our life. But what we see here is that the soil didn't become good or sustain healthiness overnight. Rather, it was through everyday faithfulness. Now, if we hear that about the soil, it just goes to show that with proper care and work and trust, the other soils can progress and become this good soil. I can guarantee none of us have had the perfectness. I mean, even think, like, for those of you who have a garden, I live in an apartment right now, so we don't really have much. We've had a couple plants, and we've, we're kind of 50-50 right now. We have two that are living. We have two that are dead, so we're not necessarily the best right now. I'm not going to lie. We got, we got the ones that we put inside that were meant to be outside, and it's like, well, things happen. So we're not the best at that. I can't say I'm an expert farmer, grower, anything like that, but I remember helping my dad maintain some of our yard. And kind of going through that, and the only way that a garden produces anything and is fruitful is by regular care and preparation. It may require us to soften the hard-packed dirt that is out there, to throw out the rocks, and to dig up the thorns and weeds from the root. And for those of you who are responsible in taking care of the yard, it doesn't matter if you get it all out because eventually it's going to show back up. There's temptation in the world that is broken, and as we deal with an everyday life, we are going into the midst of brokenness. We're going to people who have thorns and weeds and rocks and hard patches in their own life, and it's not necessarily their fault. And so, like when, so imagine you have your house, you have your neighbor's lot, and your grass is touching everything, and they have weeds in their yard, and it begins to come over to yours, and you get a little frustrated and everything. The same thing happens in our spiritual walk as we interact with others. As we make space and engage with other people, there's going to be things and temptations that are going to pop up just by being around others that are broken. But it's not the person's fault. They're working on those weeds. And God wants to work and remove those from their life, and we want to help them with that. Because weeds, they're going to creep back in. Rocks are going to wash up. The ground's going to become hard-packed. And caring for your garden, it's going to require everyday care and patience. 
Patience, because it's never going to be perfect, no matter how much effort we put into it. See, we don't achieve this good soil alone. Rather, it is by God's renewing work. It is his living water that is alive and present, his Holy Spirit that works in our life, and recognizing that God is mighty and stronger than any other weed or thorn that has taken root. He will help you remove any of those rocks, and there's no ground that's too hard for God to soften. There's no heart that's too far gone. There's no soil that's too far gone. God can work, and he will, and he wants to, and he invites us into that. And that's the good news. And as Jesus says, if we're able to hear it, it's that we're not alone in this. It's that God invites us in. He wants to do this with us. The good news is that God has made room for all of us, not just for me, not just for Charles, for all of us, even those who are outside of generations, those who are in the community right now. God has made room for them, and he invites them in out of isolation. He invites us into this relational community with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God God is community. He is relational. He is love. He is, always has been, and always will be. There's an author that I really like. I read one of his books in college, and it's always stuck with me. His name's John Mark Hicks, and he describes in his book, Come to the Table, he describes his communion with God, and he says this, but this fellowship was not created by a solitary, lonely God. Before the creation of the world, God existed as a loving community, not as a solitary being. God did not create because he needed fellowship. Since he already enjoyed fellowship through the triune community of Father, Son, and Spirit, the fellowship wasn't created. Rather, it is who God is. God is a community of love because God is agape. Consequently, God did not need to turn to anything outside of himself in order to experience loving fellowship and community. This was experienced in the mutual indwelling of God's Trinitarian fellowship, the gracious act of creation. An act of agape love is God's decision to share what he already possessed. God's love, by his free decision, is self-giving, and it's other-centered so that it seeks to share the joy of divine community with others. It is in this love and desire to share this community that God the Son comes to us in the midst of our brokenness, and it is through what he has done for us that we are able to be restored. We're able to be renewed, and our soil is able to be softened. The rocks are thrown away, the weeds are pulled up, and we are able to come to God. We're invited in out of isolation of having to try and fix everything on our own, moving up our own sleeves by ourselves. Rather, Jesus has gone to the cross and made a way. And that's the good news. That's the seed that is being scattered to all of us that we are adopted into the kingdom family of God. And we don't have to live in isolation. We are invited into divine communion to rightly and truly and fully hear this We have to tune our ears to God. We have to be able to hear him in our everyday. We have to seek him out where we live, work, and play every day, everywhere. I was getting lunch this week with um, someone from the church. It was was a fun time just catching up, but he was even sharing a little bit in his own life 
about how he was working on his relationship with God, how he was wanting to grow. And he began to explain it like this, of how for so long he always kind of heard of like the priority checklist of put God first, then family, then friends, then work, then leisure, then everything else. And it was just this layering of stuff. And what he began to explain to me is in his processing, he was wrestling with God is at the core if the Holy Spirit's alive and present in me, if we are the church, if we are the temple, then wherever I am, God is at the core. So it's not God in isolation away from everything else. No, God is at the center of your family. God is at the center of your work. God's at the center of relationships, of our leisure time, of wherever we are, God is present. Every day, everywhere. And the difficulty is that it means that we have to begin to hear God in those places. And relationship with God, our core, isn't necessarily done by a schedule. I think of my relationship with Hannah. Like, we we have a few things set on our schedule. Every Thursday night, we have date night. But those only go so far. We live together, and we do everyday stuff together. And so what that looks like for us to have a healthy relationship that grows, where we're investing in one another, growing and understanding who each other are and how we work together, is it means when I'm at the grocery store, I'm going, hmm. What, what can I get Hannah? What does Hannah need? When I'm, at, uh, when I'm at Black Rock or I'm over at Krispy Kreme, I'm like, ooh, what coffee would Hannah want? What donut does she prefer? She likes the lemon fill. I don't know anyone else who's one of those, but she loves that. And so it's even you begin to, un- you begin to understand someone fully for who they are. Amen. And that's what we begin to do with God when we put him and make room for him in our everyday and our everywhere. It's when we're driving down the road and we get frustrated, we begin to say, God, help me with that patience in this moment. I don't want a weed to come back. I don't want another rock to show up in my garden. God, help me to give patience in this moment to show love and grace when it's tough to do that. When we're on social media, when we're interacting with our friends, when we're having dinner with people, wherever we are, whenever we are, God is present and wants to be in relationship. And so it begins to ask us, do we ever slow down to make room for God? Are we listening to God? Or does it take 10 times for us to even hear what he was saying, and then we've already missed our opportunity? See, our ability to make room is limited by our ability to hear. The more we begin to hear, the more we understand that God first made room for us. And in that, we're able to do the same for others. We're able to look out into our community, to our friends and the people in which we engage with every day. We're able to say, man, I want to make room for you. I want to care and help you in your garden, in your soil, and what's going on in your life. And I care for you in that. And I want to invite you in of isolation. I want to invite you away from that. You don't have to do this alone. As, As God tells me that I'm not alone, you're not alone. As a community, we are invited into a family. We're adopted in to a kingdom family. But do we have ears to hear? And the first step in hearing is moving from isolation to invitation. It's to understand that we are invited into the room God has already made for us. So this week, as you go about your everyday and your everywhere where you live, work, and play, let's make room for God. Accept his invitation to be part of a family and understand that we are not alone and we are not forgotten. Once we begin to make room to hear God, we're going to be able to make room for others and to invite them in as well. Let's pray. Father, we, gosh, we are so blown away.
by your love, your grace, and just who you are and what you do. God, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our rebellion, when we turn and ran away from you, God, you still pursue us. And you always have your arms open wide and you're ready to come alongside us, to clean up our soil, to soften the ground, to remove the rocks, to dig up the weeds and plant our Holy Spirit, the living water that is within us. God, allow us to trust and hear that. God, as we go about the busyness, I pray that we can set that aside, that we can begin to make room for you in our everyday as we interact with others, as we're by ourselves, as we go about our lives, that, God, we begin to build this relationship with you holistically, that, God, you aren't just a Sunday, God. God, you are an every day, every hour, God, and you want to have that relationship with us, and you invite us into it. God, we cling to Jesus, the hope he's given us, the seed in which you tell us the good news, that we no longer have to be in isolation, but we are invited into the family. God, we are thankful, and it's in your son's name we pray.